0: everybody, welcome to the Raptors weekly podcast. I know that uh the release dates have been different. It's my first year as a I guess a full-time beat writer. Uh, you know, paying attention to the games, writing stuff more often does make it so that the podcast just has to fit in where I can fit it and where the guests can fit it. And uh so that's what this is. And today's guest from The Ringer, co-host of The Answer and writing features up and down the NBA here at Sohi. And uh we're here to talk about the Raptors. You were in town. Actually let's do how how are you doing first before I go to I'm the bathroom. I'm
1: great. I'm great. And how are you?
0: Yeah. I was about to stiff arm humanity there, I think. It's just go straight That's to That's okay. I mean, the, you
1: know, we can we've been talking for like five or ten minutes before this, but yeah, just to just so the listeners know, Samson is actually like very nice and like we it oh. took it took a it took a while for us to get to the podcasting portion of this. So don't worry, you don't have to perform the Hey, oh, how right. are you part of this? We've done we, that.
0: Yeah, we don't have to be pals for consumption. We can (laughs) just be pals. That makes sense. So to start the season, you were in Toronto. Um, We worked some games together along with all the rest of the media, took in some Raptor stuff, talked to players, did the whole thing. I got to ask you, being around the team at the start of this season, you've covered the Raptors in and out as a league-wide person and then a little bit closer with the team prior to this. And I'm like the team. Thoughts on their progression from – not the championship season, mm-hmm. but since the championship season to now, I'm curious. What are the big takeaways for you?
1: Ooh, uh, that's that's a good question. I feel like things have been so up and down for this team in that in that period. Um, there was obviously like the catastrophic Tampa season that probably sticks out to me as a low. Like to everybody, probably everyone involved with the Raptors or staff is probably like that. That is that was definitely the worst period of it normally like for for a lot of different players too um like pascal had that really tough uh tough bubble playoffs um a lot of injuries but they're also just they're just incredibly scrappy at the same time like the raptors are a very weird team to watch like they're really they're really fun to watch at times cuz they're really frenetic and they're always not always I think this is kind of well maybe we'll talk about this later. I think they're kind of coming up to the end point of how how far effort can get you. uh, but they've always been just scrappy, and they've always done interesting stuff. I love like the the height experiment. I think we're also now getting to the point where you gotta question some of its drawbacks too. I think we almost like this season feels like transitioning or an attempt to transition into a new chapter here, right? uh, but for the most part, I'd say. You watch them and you're like, oh, they're down seventeen, and they've missed like, I don't know, they made like one shot in the last four minutes, and it looks like there's just no momentum, and they're probably going to lose this game. And then four more minutes pass, and you're like, holy crap! Like they're they're just like defending all over the place, and you basically can't pass a ball anywhere or you're, or they're going to deflect it and they're getting it going in transition. Now, all of a sudden, the shooters are popping off tr- too. And like, my God, is this team streaky, right? And somehow they just did that for an entire season and ended up winning like more than half their games, which makes perfect sense actually when, it, like, when you when you think about it. Uh, but probably the, the team in the, in the NBA that I think relies the most on momentum if that makes sense you know like it's it's always like it, one thing has has to lead to another and i'm kind of at, at this place now where i wonder if a little bit more structure wouldn't be helpful
0: it is really interesting this team before i give my big thing you know you talk about the the limiting returns or diminishing returns of of height or effort do you think they have on the roster the talent and or ability to structure themselves to get over those those diminishing returns, do you see that on there?
1: Um, that's a good question. I think they haven't been healthy this season. I think I think twenty games of health will have a better answer to that. Twenty games of like whatever version of Pascal Siakam that we, we we've been getting, if you put him into an offense and you get like everyone else to play around that, I think that's very promising. Uh, but I think there's also probably some tactical stuff stuff that they can do too. Like it, it sometimes just feels like. I think this this season especially Pascal came in he was like you know I want to be all NBA I want to be a top 5 player OG by the way OG first time in his life like actually like putting his his uh his goals out there mm-hmm. for for public consumption and and look what's happening Anything I love that for, for public consumption yes, to be honest it's great it's great um and and Scotty too just you know second year I think there's a lot of stuff that he worked on this summer he wanted to that he could make the leap too so I feel like I'm seeing a lot of tunnel vision on the team right now and I I wonder if maybe just pulling back on that would help as well and I imagine the coaching staff probably would like to see a little bit more ball movement too like one of the things that's been surprising about the Raptors this season is just like they're you know pretty much every efficiency stat like they are in the bottom 15 when it comes to passing and that's just not something that I think you're used to seeing from this team uh, or that I expected to see from this team they don't necessarily have like a a natural like top ten playmaker on their team, but they do have a lot of unself unselfish players. I do think ultimately maybe later on the season might not need to rely too much on each other. Like maybe we get to a place where Scotty is starting to find his game, right? And and Pascal continues to do what he's doing. And and OG's already had like just some incredible offensive performances this season that like, you know, I don't necessarily see See coming this fast at least, maybe you don't need to rely on that too much down the line, but right now, I just kind of feel like, okay, like that's let's play off of each other a little bit more than we are., uh, but those are just kind of there like maybe that's just early season early season kinks, but like you know just that, that was a very long answer to your question, which is like, I don't know that's that's yeah, I don't know.
0: <laughs> it's you know what, and it's okay to say I don't know in basketball, honestly because it's so hard to predict anything and there's so much going on for the listener if I can, you know, input what I think some of that structure might be the Raptors, you know, Syria talked about how they don't pass very often and there's not a lot of structure to the offense. And that's Nick nurse and the read and react principles he likes to have. They like to work from mismatches and I understand why they do that. And I understand why they sell out for offensive rebounds. And when they sell for offensive rebounds, it means that they don't run actions on the weak side to, you know, make sure that they occupy the defense there, which changes help principles, which changes how often you can move and and pass to the weak side as a bailout to run those second side actions and stuff like that. And the Raptors at this point, despite having, you know, Fred Van Vliet has, I guess, been in and out as a, a creator worthy of giving a bunch of possessions to. He's had his ups, he's had his downs. Pascal is objectively that guy. You want a lot of possessions in his hands. He's been probably he's not an MVP status. He was injured for too long, but you know the the stat queries that anybody does are going to return basically Pascal and Nikola Jokic and all that kind of stuff. And the Raptors have a lot of talent on the team, mm-hmm. including OG in that in that threesome as well. But they haven't found the the fusion or they haven't coalesced in the ways that create like a harmonious production. And I think that's where that really plays into you saying they're the most reliant on momentum out of any team because when they get to play with pace and out in transition, a lot of the half court limitations stop showing up for guys like Scotty or Fred. And they just get to be out in, you know, with Fred out in the open court means he gets jumpers on that, that left wing, he gets wide open triples. He gets to play, make a little bit out to the corners with Scotty. It means these long loping strides in transition to the bucket playmaking all these, you know, no look passes and stuff like that. And with the injuries, we have not been able to see any type of continuity, which is was supposed to be one of the the big things for the Raptors record this season. They returned so much of their talent from last year. We just haven't seen anything like that. And uh I, I do want to like focus in on Pascal. So Pascal basically is like fifty-eight percent true shooting. He's basically doing like twenty-five, eight and seven. He's been, the usage bumped, the free the free throw rate bumped, the assist percentage bumped, the assist uh, turnover percentage is better. Everything for Pascal has gone to a place where it's really, really impressive. I'm curious what you think of Pascal holistically, the guy. What do you mean? Like when you not not anything specific, but the whole Pascal, like a holistic approach to Pascal's game—the spin moves, the playmaking, beating double teams, the the shot creation, the the improved jump shot—just what does Sohi think of Pascal Siakam, the player at this point in time?
1: I mean, he's incredible. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> um, I think I think most uh, Pascal's journey, I think, is really informative about player development. In general, I think when we look at how far he's come, especially with that jumper, especially like, you know, using it in more dynamic ways too, not just spotting up. Um, There has like been a pretty polarizing discussion on Raptors Twitter. It feels like over the last month about Scotty Barnes. Yeah. And I think this goes for all the, all the guys. I think, you know, you can even use it for OG too. Um, this stuff is not linear it doesn't happen right away and you have to work through a lot a lot of growing pains uh you have to work through seeing missed shots you have to work through seeing like awkward ugly footwork and and weird possessions and stuff because that's also like that was a huge part of the pascal experience for for a while right like you can take it back to his first two seasons in the NBA like he shot he shot 14% from 3 in his first season granted he took like you know probably like zero att- like he was basically like zero attempts right then the next season he's in the 20s and i think that start of his his second season he basically like didn't he miss like just you know a record amount of three pointers without making one
0: yes he he was the guy who was the ultimate the intersection of volume and inefficiency that was that was Pascal Siakam, I mean, yeah. yeah. For
1: sure. And I remember, I remember every time I'd watch him out on the court, even after a miss, he'd still be smiling. And I think you kind of have to have that attitude about failure in order to come as far as Pascal has. because if you look at if you look at it in broad strokes, he's other than the like the the bubble season, he has pretty much improved every single season. Uh, but it's come with a lot of growing pains. It's come with a lot of failure. It's come with just like you know he went to the, he went to the G League, um, and it's also a really inspiring story at the same time because there's absolutely no way that you know I would have seen this guy being able to do the things that he's doing now. Like he is basically like you know he's he's like a rebound and three assists shy of, of averaging a triple double, and that's kind of always been the sort of all around potential that he's had but i think when you have all around potential it takes like a few stops and turns to figure out exactly what you should be doing with it as well Mm -hmm. you know like how much of his i think like early too it's like how much of his his shot diet should be coming from the mid-range and 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 then three-pointers and like you know just trying to expand out versus like doing the things that he's good at which is like kind of essentially the, the conversation that we're having about scotty and that's that's the challenge of and, and also like the benefit of the type of player that the Raptors have really liked over the last like four or five years. Like this is the type of like multi guy who can kind of do anything. Well, then you still have to then take the time to figure out what's going to be the most productive thing for you to do, right?
0: Yeah, it's uh, the hierarchy of decision making is not necessarily intuitive in basketball. Yeah, exactly. When you have when you have a bunch of skills that are emerging how do you choose which one to try and exact upon the defense at any given point in time mm-hmm. how could how could pascal and the you know the many development coaches head coaches assistant coaches know that by building out his mid-range shot it wasn't an overall okay he's going to become a great pull-up three-point shooter it's more so that he's so comfortable in the mid-range that when he's playing he can get doubled at a top 3 rate in the NBA And he's one of the best playmakers in the front court in the NBA because he's so good at decision-making out of doubles. Mm -hmm. And that's largely because he's so dangerous in the middle of the floor because of his shot-making there. Like That's not really a development quirk that you would be able to project. Mm -hmm. And neither is like catch-and-shoot threes. Development coaches, scouts, everybody in the NBA says, we can take a guy and he can hit catch-and-shoot threes now. But the type of things that Pascal has built into his game are – Completely singular. He he took his whole bag as like a, you know, I talked to Ben Pfeiffer and we, and Ben Pfeiffer had recently done, went through all of his college tape and was kind of doing like a a scout looking back. At, what would I like about this guy? And it's basically, he was a tremendous mover, a unique and talented mover, a kinetic savant. Uh, Yasmin Duwala coined that, I think way mm-hmm. back in 2019. And he's built all the skills on top of that. And so it's it's turned into, it's bubbled up into just a completely singular player who, there isn't anybody like him in the NBA, I don't think, prior to him or like him currently. And that doesn't mean he's an MVP, but it does mean he's singular. And that's something cool to achieve. And it also means that people might think that like he becomes the blueprint for development, but the point is that he isn't. He's like a, just a one-off, a branch coming out of the bottom of a tree or something like that, completely... Mm-hmm. Um, unique in that facet he he fascinates me probably the same way he fascinates you
1: yeah I mean even if you think about that that early spin move which I think is actually also really an important aspect of development is having a few things that allow you to stay Mm -hmm. on the court and for him to be so elite at one particular thing that was really hard even after it was scouted for defenses to stop now granted they did get better at it but it was still really difficult and there are certain guys where you know you might you might know it's coming, but you're not going to be fast enough to be able to stop it. That kept him on the court, and that was always such a, like, there's a spin move, and then there's the Pascal Siakam spin move, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just it's just a different deal, and it was, it was always really fun to watch. And then you think about his, you know, he played soccer early, and he was a late bloomer to basketball as well. And he has developed in this really, like, I never actually thought about that, just how, like, the singularity of his game. I almost wonder is that also makes them a little underrated when we have discussions about.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> there we
0: go. <laughs> it. the term, the term is called aesthetic bias. When somebody doesn't imitate the stars of the past, okay. it's harder in your brain to accept that what they're doing is elite. I've been working on this theory for some time. Okay. I'm very glad you brought it up. <laughs> but yeah, aesthetic bias is the term. And for people... Uh, I'm sure you've seen, I guess, like be it like footy Twitter or basketball Twitter, how they, um, I believe, Joel Embiid was referred to as a free throw merchant. The the merchant tag gets attached to people, somebody who is not very impactful but does echo the aesthetics of past stars. You would call them an aesthetic merchant. So we're we're working in all the all the little colloquialisms now.
1: Who is who is like an aesthetic merchant?
0: I well, I don't want to be rude. We... <laughs>
1: <We're>, come on.
0: <laughs> okay, so uh, Gary Trent Jr., for example, uh. is not necessarily an aesthetic merchant. And I just wrote today about how he's been so much better about attacking closeouts and manipulating with his own gravity. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like he hit a lot of step backs and there's nicknames for him within... Uh, big shout to Zarar who started Raptors Republic, but before pre- last season we had a conversation about Gary Trent Jr. And he said he saw a little bit of Kobe in him. And it's just like, we're, it's because of the step backs and the shot making Mm -hmm. that we chunk them together. Uh, Raptors Twitter uh, affectionately referred to Gary Trent Jr. as uh, Gary Beal, although Gary Beal attacks in a completely (laughs) separate way. And Gary Trent Jr. has very little presence at the front of the rim and all this kind of stuff. But when somebody makes the type of shots that like, Damar and Kobe and Michael Jordan make, we immediately start associating those skills with like the highest level of play. Mm -hmm. And so I don't mean to call Gary an aesthetic merchant or anything like that, but just to kind of illustrate where that point comes from or something. I'm thinking about
1: guys that didn't necessarily come out. Yeah, I was actually just about to mention him, like about the, like all these six, eight, six, nine wings that you would think were going to go in and be like, I think Paul George is also interestingly a guy that became a, model um, for development for these guys like even though he's
0: you, impossible to recreate
1: it's I actually think it's because he's it's somewhat possible to recreate his game and in the, in the way that not not completely but in the way that you can't model your game after Kevin Durant
0: mm-hmm.
1: you can still model it after Paul George you can copy a lot of his moves like I think I think like Tatum is somebody who when you look at his game inside the perimeter, especially early on, like he definitely modeled some stuff off of Paul George. There are a lot of guys kind of in that size ilk that, you know, were taking those like, you know, working around, like, you know, just curling around for like a, an eight footer and taking advantage of their height that way, as opposed to like always going down and and trying to, trying to draw a foul at the rim, especially as you, as you get older. Um, And I think Kawhi is another guy that people try to, look at as a developmental model too him i think is it's harder because his elite strength is just something that's really difficult to replicate even if his game looks like simple and 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 replicable Uh, kevin knox i just thought of kevin knox i
0: was gonna say that one yeah yeah yeah.
1: this feels this this does feel a little bit mean because i'm just like going down (laughs) these previous drafts and being like who did everyone think was gonna pan out and be a star but but didn't Uh, but this is actually a major problem. Like I've I've talked to scouts about this before too. Where like when a guy looks like a certain guy, it sucks for the guy too because he gets pigeonholed. Because everybody just mm-hmm. gets lost in the hype and they like want to say, oh, he's going to be the next this, he's going to be the next that. Where you don't necessarily actually take an honest look at his his actual skill set and think about where that could fit in an NBA roster, right? Like one of the things that we we do with the answer now is like we we've been looking at some players that have been you know. St- we were supposed to maybe be stars and it didn't necessarily pan out. But Dennis Smith Jr. is a guy where everybody was like, oh yeah, like he's going to be like the next, you know, Mm -hmm. John Wall, next like explosive scoring point guard. And like all along he just, he was never efficient enough for it. He was never a good enough enough scorer for it at every level. But the thing is he could get into the lane and do it occasionally and it would look really explosive and awesome when he did it. So that's what we look at as potential as opposed mm-hmm. to looking at like taking a more broader perspective on okay, well how often does that happen and what are the circumstances circumstances under which that happens. I like yeah. I really like this framework. Yeah. It's cool. It's like I feel like it's very informative.
0: Yeah. Aesthetics. Um, I think I had this I had this conversation. I did a, a series last year of podcasts where I talked to a bunch of people about why they love basketball. And there was a lot of different reasons. Some of it was aesthetics. Some of it was like the drama of basketball or Yasmin had pageantry as hers. Mm-hmm. Caitlin Cooper, uh, there, there's a bunch of them anyway. Um, but uh, I think Paul George, the reason why, of course you're correct in saying that there's things that people have picked up, but there's the Bruce Lee quote about water, you know, mm-hmm. like you, the cup, the water becomes the cup. You know you can you can flow or you can crash like a wave and and paul george the way he drives at his size i feel like it's you know like water running down like a rigid mountain where it's it doesn't have a predetermined path whatsoever it's just mm. taking whatever pops up and it's like paul george has the flexibility fluidity and skills at his size to do that i've never seen a guy like him move at that size and here's the segue a guy who does not move smooth uh, who's actually quite truncated, powerful, but truncated, OG Ananobi. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about how he's introducing himself as a guy this season saying, hey, I'm good at stuff. I'd like you guys to say I'm good at stuff too. Maybe you should say that more often now because I'm saying it. All that kind of stuff. If anybody wants to go to raptorsrepub.com, I have the quotes. I have the film. I have all the stats. And this one I is not behind the paywall. Mm-hmm. Um you can read about OG Ananobi from my end there. But more important than that, what does so he think of <laughs> OG Ananobi's defense and offense so far this season?
1: I think you'll probably have you'll probably have better insight, to be honest. But I think I, th- I think it's it all kind of just comes down to he's him saying it himself. Like this this is this is all just I mean, like what, like Yasmin said, like the, the pageantry. The NBA, especially when it comes to things like defense, people don't pay like like enough genuine attention to to defense. Like through the course of a season, you kind of have to create a little bit of your own narrative if you want an award like that. Um, But like the example that always sticks out to me is Derrick Rose in his MVP year. He came out at the start of that season saying like Why not? Why can't I be the MVP of this league? Like Why can't I be the best player in this league?" He had zero business believing that, by the way, like zero. He came in, like, he had a great, like, he had a great season. He was an all-star coming into that season. But there was no reason to believe that he was going to make, A, he made a huge leap that season just in his, like, in his game in general. It wasn't all just hype. But it was also, like, this perfect collision of Dwight Howard had a better season than him, but nobody wants to give it to a center. Mm -hmm. And especially nobody wants to give it to Dwight Howard. Although he wasn't quite as disliked as he is now. Um, And LeBron James just went to the heat. So, like, there was no way there's no way that he was getting it um uh, so yeah it just kind of goes to show man like all a lot of this stuff just kind of comes down to like you putting yourself out there and and saying it because I mean OG has been this like on defense he's been this guy right like I think he's be- he's definitely better right but do we think that the percentage point to which he has improved like correlates with the level of hype he's getting I don't think so
0: no, def- like definitely not. And that's it is talking about it really. I I did um you know, I, I did this piece I think two years ago during the the bubble season where pass where the Raptors were the second ranked defense but didn't have an all defensive member selected. And I went through so many of OG's possessions and just it was astounding. I guess that would have been his fourth year in the league, how or I guess it no, his third year in the league. How impressive he was at not only not getting scored on, but suppressing shot attempts from stars. Like it's, Mm -hmm. he plays against LeBron. LeBron just doesn't shoot as much. And of course, some of that is the Raptors being very help oriented in scheme, but OG is a guy who will limit the stars, not only statistically with, you know, efficiency, I guess, but also will make sure that they leave less of a footprint on the game. Um, most notably, we saw that probably with his performance against Luka Doncic, where once again, very help-oriented scheme from the Raptors, a lot of blitzing, but they blitz when the pick and roll came. If it was Luka Doncic running anything else besides pick and roll, OG was in deny defense, or he was playing up on the ball as a single defensive player, doing all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's it is just a guy. He's he's a little bit more, I guess, a gamble heavy. As far as in passing lanes this year, I would say, that's resulted in a higher steal percentage than usual. But the cool thing about gambles is if you're doing it really well on defense and you are an elite athlete and you have elite measurements and you have an elite feel for the game, the gambles are not so gambly. They're mm-hmm. more of a certainty, right? And so he's just getting more steals. Yeah, and, and especially when you have a back a
1: line behind you that like, the Raptors at their best on defense. Not to say that they've been at their best this season, but at their best. Like are incredibly intuitive about helping as well. So, if a gamble doesn't necessarily pay off, you've got to scramble and I just I just trust the Raptors in scramble situations more than I trust your average team as well. Mm-hmm. But I think I think OG is also he's somebody who he's kind of the perfect modern defender. You know, I think over the last last 5 years or so, one thing that's become really important for for defense is just being able to absorb a lot of weight from the other guy. And like, I think, I think uh, like him defending Luka Doncic, like that is kind of the perfect example of it. Right. But we saw it firsthand, just like how Kawhi would punish guys in in 2019. Right. But you know, it can go down the line. There's LeBron, there's, there was Harden in his prime Um, over the last five years. It just feels like most of the elite offensive talent in the NBA probably because on some level you just have to be able to get through the grind of a season uh is just heavier they're heavier mm-hmm. they're stockier they're not they they use the post in interesting ways it's not like your grandmother's post up but it's like it's a it's a sort of different way of just i think utilizing their gravity by getting into the middle of the floor being in a position where it's advantageous if they if they force a double um and also just the way that pick and rolls are run too it's just you can you can bully guys on your way to the rim if they're not stronger than you, and if you're smart about it, you're not going to get much, like a charge call, right? Um, and I think this is actually only going to get this like this is going to persist, right? Like, the Raptors just got like you know the the Pelicans beat the brakes off of them mm-hmm. with with Zion essentially doing that to the whole team, right? And like if you look like look at a team like Memphis, they've done a really good job of of putting together a lot of stocky defenders that can. That, that can switch a lot of positions and usually like this is a weird this is like the weird secret where that allows it all to come together usually these players that are larger you would think that they would have a harder time staying in front of that for front of other people but their hip strength gives them so much lateral explosion that they mm-hmm. can usually stay in front of guards too. And I think that's what you see with OG as well. Like to go from Luca and then, then like deal with a guy like Trey. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like it shouldn't work, but that's kind of, that part is like really the secret sauce to me that, that allows him and, and like there's and, and the elite defenders in the league to, to guard pretty much anyone.
0: Can I actually, just as a, like a complete non sequitur, you brought up Trey and having read your piece on the Hawks, Okay. So you have a quote here and I thought it was really great. And I I have a question about, so it's, um, so there have been trade-offs while Murray and young have an easy symbiosis on defense on offense. They're like an orange County wife married in quotation to her aging oil baron husband playing (laughs) together in that they exist in the same space. So, had you had you seen something with oil barons recently or do those exist at like the front of your mind? It's such a unique thing to bring up <laughs> like like one of the greatest villains in American history, you know, the oil baron.
1: So I had actually gone to a comedy show in Irvine, California, which is, I think, in Orange County or Orange, Orange County adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, Comedian is Ashley Gavin. She's hilarious. Everyone should check her out that'll be my plug. Um, (laughs) But she was basically, she just does a lot of crowd work. And she was basically making a comment about like, well, she was, she was basically flirting with one of the women in the audience. Uh, It was like an older woman who was, I think, I think the woman had said she was married. And she was basically like, kind of made a joke about, well, like, you're married, but like, Are you married you know um and that's uh, i can't remember what the exact joke was but she basically made a uh, made a joke about um the quote-unquote marriage like or like the quote-unquote marriages that that exist in orange county and i also i do think she used oil barons as an example and and my editor actually was like hit it with a bit of a question mark he was like there's a lot of oil barons in in orange county and i was like <laughs> i actually did some research and it turns out that in the early 1920s there was so my response was well most of them are probably dead now but yeah."
0: Return thank you for the, the question
1: earth.
0: <laughs> Return to the earth to become the oil they so crave mm-hmm. um what yes, like, wow. what does the what does the term oil baron conjure up in your mind? I think of like Doug Dimmodome. You know that you like the I think that of, character.
1: I don't. I don't. Who is that?
0: You know, so do you ever watch Fairly Odd Parents? You know the guy in the white suit with the big oh, hat? Yeah. Doug Dimodome of the, Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's who I think of. Wow. Um did you ever watch the OC?
0: So uh I'm aware of the OC. I've okay. been adjacent to enough OC people. I have not watched it myself though.
1: Okay. I think of Caleb from the OC, who was uh played by Alan Dale. Uh he was he was like the kind of the patriarch of, of the Cohen family and it was also just like written as the worst. You know, like he was just this guy who was you know, he had a whole bunch of properties in, in Orange County and he was like, Yeah, let's tear down this, you know, the balboa natural something something i don't remember exactly what it was and build some golf courses and yes i am corrupt and like yeah so maybe 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 you've covered up for some really shady things happening and you know with construct with with people who work in construction um yeah so that's 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 who i think of not necessarily an oil baron but somebody who kind of you know portrays all of those those traits
0: allegories facsimiles all of that um I wouldn't be able to get you out of here without talking about Scotty Barnes. Mm-hmm. Um, just curious on what your thoughts on, I, I did a video um, for Yahoo Sports that if anybody wants to go watch on their YouTube channel, you can, it's about his playmaking. I won't talk about that too much here. Cause once again, we're here for Sirat. and uh, yeah, Sirat. I'm curious, Scotty Barnes, we're like 20, I guess for him, 20 games, 22 games into his sophomore season. What are your, what are your thoughts?
1: I'm not not too surprised. Uh, first of all, I think he's just been dealing with injuries. I have a lot of questions about why it is that he is just limping across the floor all the time.
0: He keeps asking. It's incredibly, it just strange. says everything's fine. It's it's kind of I, absurd.
1: It's really weird. I don't get it. He's really young. I feel like maybe just give him five days. Um, I've also heard he's like just like the type of guy who won't stop. So maybe like that's just gonna be something that he has to learn.
0: He's a grinder at the game the other day. He was walking out like I swear, he he left the arena before Nick even had his press conference. Mm-hmm. Scotty Barnes was gone. And all of a sudden I see on Twitter people say he was already watching the highlights from the game on Twitch. He's a content creator. Like he he knows <laughs> nothing but the grind. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've I've heard just like kind of like late night gym stuff about him and that's great. That's really great. Obviously you want to hear things like that, but I just like, that's, that's part of the adjustment also of like becoming an NBA player too is like you gotta, you gotta reconcile a little bit with like the fact that your body isn't quite invincible. And I think for a guy like him whose body is held up incredibly well for him for the most part, uh, that might be a little bit harder of a challenge too. Uh, the other thing is just, It's like the Pascal thing, right? Like when you are trying to be the guy who does everything, there are going to be some stops and starts. There are going to be some times that you take some paths that maybe didn't necessarily, like weren't necessarily the right ones, right? But that's kind of part of the journey. Um, There were points earlier this season where I felt like he wasn't necessarily playing with a lot of joy either, which was concerning. It feels like that has been back to he's just more energetic. And like it's just tricky, right? Like how do you kind of build on all this stuff that you're probably excited to show off that you've been working on that you're also going to have to develop as counters. Cause now, you know, the, the league has been put on notice. They know what Scotty Barnes is about, right? Like he's not going to get every easy backdoor cut there is like guys are going to be looking for it. They have been looking for it. Right. Like there's a reason I think, I think Scotty has left some cuts on the table, but there's also a reason for that too. Like they're not giving him that anymore. There's a reason he has to be like post, like spotted up at the three point line. Um, when I've seen it from the shooting progress, I like it. I think like it's just kind of about putting it all together, like like kind of putting together last year's game, which was all like you know, energy, effort, hustle, athleticism, chaos, like mm-hmm. into a more sustainable game moving forward right like because you can't you can't do that forever right as but as as awesome as that stuff is but it still is bread and butter it's still going to be the stuff that he needs and it's also the stuff that that's winning basketball that's why he got the comparisons to draymond green right and you wouldn't tell draymond green to go then try to become kevin durant right and i feel like that's kind of what happened with scotty over the summer and now if those two games actually like find a way to mold each mold together then that's incredible then you have like this do-it- all guy who's gonna be completely unguardable and, and honestly I think that's worth going for I think we've seen so much in his touch to suggest that he could be a very high level scorer he's incredibly smart he can be cerebral in the half court um, transition like you already know um and I th- I, th- I think like whatever path he's on is, is worth it I think it's just a matter of finding ways to be productive and do the stuff that you're already good at while you're exploring new parts of your game. And that's all a lot easier said than done. Like, I feel like let's just like, if, if you're a Raptors fan, just kind of embrace the mess of it for now and, and hope that it leads to something beautiful in the future.
0: Embrace the mess of it. I I do enjoy that uh, quite thoroughly. Now I've been telling people that, uh, The vibes of the fan base do not necessarily reflect the vibes of the team. As somebody who's around the team on occasion, uh, I think the vibes have been pretty good. But, uh, you know, I could be a homer. I could be doing all that kind of stuff. So I have to ask you, you've been around teams in the NBA. You've been around the Raptors this season. Are you good at assessing vibes? And if so, (laughs) what were were the vibes like for the Raptors?
1: Um, (laughs) (laughs) I will... I will refrain from touching on whether I'm good at assessing vibes because I feel like if I say that I am, that's probably just going to mean that I'm not, you know, it's like one of those things. Uh, I do think the vibes on the Raptors are are good. They're fine. Um, I don't think they freak out nearly as much as the fan base does, which is really good. I think that that kind of comes down to Nick nurse, right? Like Nick nurse is really steady. He's like, even when he's pissed, like, he's pissed and then he's like not pissed after you know which is good like it's a long season you got to get through it especially the amount of injuries these guys have had like I, I imagine it's not even fun to be like creative at this point because it's like gosh like could we just have a few more tools to work with um yeah I think I think the fan I think the team is fine they generally bounce back pretty well from from losses they don't really like delve too much into it they got a pretty productive relationship with their own weaknesses and stuff too which is important and i think that's just like a, that's a that that's probably also a Nick thing as well um you know I, it's it's weird i think sometimes like you it's almost more reassuring for fans to see the team have the same level of quote-unquote urgency as the fan base does but i think that that can lead you down some pretty bad paths too right like those that
0: kevin durant was on twitter and uh there was a guy tweeting about kevin durant and saying like he's getting mvp ben is getting defensive player of the year the Nets are going to win it all, and Katie responded and was like, "This team is going to break you. You need to take a break. This team is going to
1: break you." You'll start, like for real, though, and I, I think that, I think like when it comes to actually trying to solve problems, you do need to have that level of perspective and and some level of remove from it too, right? Yeah. Like you can't always just be kind of catastrophizing and thinking about like, oh well. I think there's kind of a tendency in sports to look at what's happening now and assume that there's some sort of permanence to it as like, you know, people Mm -hmm. don't have bad games and good games and bad stretches and good stretches. Like that's just kind of a part of life. Um, And we always want to come up with solutions to things, but sometimes the best thing to do is just do nothing
0: and wait. That's I imagine it's extremely helpful that the leaders of this team are Pascal, who we, his um, metamorphosis from who he was as a player, and the type of the way he responded to criticism or praise transformed in front of everybody. Mm -hmm. And in a very, like in some cases, like a, a very nasty way, not on his end, but what he was subjected to. And there's like a significant amount of perspective and calm that he brings to the way he talks about basketball. And Fred is a guy who came into the league through the back door Uh, undrafted at every turn had to prove himself had to work had to so these guys are not unfamiliar with significant um, problems Mm -hmm. kind of jumping up in their in their basketball lives and they both came through it and found accolades on the other side so i imagine they're very instrumental in keeping everybody on the i guess the steady
1: yeah yeah steady freddie he's also a truth teller yeah, I think, he, I think he sees things very clearly. And I think that's probably what the most important thing is, like, regardless of what your attitude is, as long as your attitude isn't, you know, preventing you from seeing things as they are, you're probably fine.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Pascal Siakam, everything, even Nick Nurse, the, the pressers lately has just been talking about, well, process is pretty good. And I know process is not exciting for most people to talk about. We're, mm-hmm. we're kind of into outcomes in this world.
1: Yeah, but for processes sure.
0: Processes inform future outcomes typically. So we can find solace in that.
1: Yeah, and it's, yeah, for sure. And it's good to, you know, be able to have faith in them even when things are going down. I imagine for fans, it's probably a little bit, a little bit annoying. Like when you see a really bad effort and you see Nick Nurse just kind of like shrugging and being like, ah, I don't know. Like just doing his like kind of like, oh, shucks, Nick Nurse thing. But that's yeah. long term that's probably a good thing like there's a reason a lot of teams flame out there's the reason a lot of coaches flame out like you can't you can't get too this is like the ultimate cliche of the nba but if there's a reason it's like a cliche you just can't get too high or too low like you got to just mm-hmm. keep it moving right i think scotty works as a, as a good example of that too like if he had those bad games and like started reading twitter and was like oh like look at what everyone's saying about me like you know like the the potential downward spiral of that is is pretty bad whereas like if you just keep just keep doing the work hope the shots fall eventually
0: it probably will yeah don't read the internet try not ever like that's what
1: everyone don't ever read the internet
0: yeah that's uh not not only yeah 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 yeah. that's right um it's i think it's plug time sir if you'd like to plug anything tell (laughs) the listeners the viewers where to find you what they should be keeping their eye on anything like that you go right ahead
1: um well uh I co-host a podcast called The Answer. You can find it on the Ringer NBA network. Uh, I co-host it with uh Jay Kyle Mad. Thank the Lord for that because he is a lot smarter than I am. Uh, but we uh, we we have fun. We have fun. We like to kind of theorize. We like to pick one topic of the week and just kind of dive in, so think about what it means. We talked about uh, Zion Williamson this uh, week, and you know, I imagine Raptors fans might have had enough of Zion. So maybe tune in next week when we're not talking about somebody who's personally violated you. Uh, yeah, we yeah check out the answer and you know check out the ringer. We do we do a lot of fun stuff. Uh, I have a Raptors thing coming out eventually i'm not too sure when though
0: so yeah the specter of something on the (laughs) that's right um sirit thank you so much for hopping on it's been an absolute pleasure i i feel extremely happy that i got to introduce aesthetic bias to you and i'm excited i'm excited for you to pontificate openly upon it for the rest of (laughs) your days um Listener, if you're listening on the podcast channel, thanks for letting us talk to you. Uh, you know, thanks for listening in. YouTube channel, hey you, uh, like the video? That's supposed to help. Subscribe, and more importantly than anything, uh, go to RaptorsAboveIt.com and subscribe to the website so you can access my written content, Lewis Asman's written content, and Aiden Moss's weekly uh, five things I like and don't like. Um, whoever you like the most, do it for them. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And uh, yeah, we'll see you.